We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fires downfield to Jamar Chase. He's got it. Wow. Takes it all the way. DJ Moore has a pass to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor. Touchdown. Pass is caught. Touchdown. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to World of Biz Overtime on World of Biz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland, and I'm joined, as always, by Sean Siegel. Sean, it is our week five NFL recap show. This one being recorded a little bit later because I went to the Packers game. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Based on our theme today, we're going to talk about impressive running back performances. It wasn't either the Packers running backs we'll be talking about in that portion of the show, but my voice may be a little bit more hoarse today, a fun experience. Packers didn't get the win, but Sean, lots to talk about in NFL week five. Some very big, impressive weeks, some very very quiet weeks from some other players maybe we would have expected to see some big weeks from but a very very interesting week all the same but some really impressive running back performances and we're going to kind of theme today's show around that how are you feeling kind of as we are almost at the end point of uh nfl week five with just monday night football left to, to play well this was a a fun one for the running backs and for running back fans We've talked a lot, especially, I think, on Stealing Bananas, about how this wasn't going to be a season where running backs made no impact. The fact that they were off to a slow first month and receivers were really lighting up the scoreboard didn't mean that everything had changed to such an extent that we weren't going to still see big plays from the big names. And Week 5 gave us a lot of that. Nick Chubb reminding everybody why he's the best pure runner in the league. Derrick Henry reminding everyone how when you face opponents that you can manhandle, and get a huge number of touches you're going to break through for some big plays you're going to get some rushing touchdowns there the titans able to work through with three touchdowns all three to their running backs two to derrick henry we saw a reminder of how austin eckler has posted such elite fantasy points over expectation numbers as he authors multiple big plays in the chargers maybe surprising comeback win maybe we weren't expecting them to need to come back in this game, but the Chargers have struggled, and I think that nothing really illustrates that more than the Jacksonville Jaguars losing to the Houston Texans. When you go back a couple of weeks and think about the beatdown that the Jaguars put on the Chargers, there are a lot of sort of circumstantial things here that make you wonder about uh, where this Chargers team really is. But, Colin, I think the biggest takeaway from Week 5, and again, so many of our takeaways in the short term are always going to be based on that week's matchup, which isn't 
a context neutral or a strength neutral matchup, the Buffalo Bills go out and play what right now is a very, very weak Pittsburgh Steelers team. But I think when you contrast the Bills' performance with the unbeaten's performance in the Philadelphia Eagles, the Eagles get the win, but probably one of the most disappointing teams of the weekend. You watch on Sunday Night Football and the Bengals, just yet another debacle from them. Both of the Super Bowl teams from last year are below 500. I mean, a little bit of this is just still trying to come to terms with that AFC Championship game meltdown. But at least until tonight, right? At least until the Chiefs go out and, you know, it's always possible that they have another game like their game against the Indianapolis Colts. But we would expect them to probably put it on the Raiders, even though the Raiders for one and three, a very strong team, just like last week we were talking about the New England Patriots, still one of the best teams in football. (laughs) They showed that against the Lions and they gave us a little bit of a sense of how the Lions offense has been a mirage, has been somewhat fueled by the opponents that they have played. Once the Patriots get healthy and get Mac Jones back, they're going to be awfully tough to deal with. But right now, The Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, really just so far ahead of all of the rest of the teams in football. And maybe, again, until the Chiefs play tonight, we have to just say it's the Buffalo Bills. Colin, of those stories, which one jumps out to you? It seems like it has to be the performance that you witnessed where Saquon Barkley is able to get into the open a couple of times, showing off just unreal jets as he does that. Maybe the contrast here between Brian Dable And what the Packers are trying to do came into a little bit sharper relief in this one. What was your weekend like? What was the experience like? When I was able to tune in, again, these games start very early in Tucson, but the Packers are up 17 to 3. And I had spoilers. I knew that the Giants won this game. And to see that score, it's like things must have gone down pretty sharply uh, from this point from the Packers, which was the case. They more or less didn't have the ball from that point in the game. Tell us about Sunday in London. A really awesome experience. I actually traveled over on Friday, so um, got to meet up with some Packers fans, different Packers events. It was very heavily influenced. Like Even as a Packers fan, I was shocked to see the amount of green and gold that was on display throughout London early in the day on Friday, Saturday. So the atmosphere was incredible. Um, the first half was incredible. It was all going pretty much to plan. But as you mentioned, when it got to the half time mark in this, the Packers were leading that 22-10 at that point. They get a lit field goal where they, they look like they're moving in a really strong direction. I was sitting beside some Giants fans and some Packers fans and kind of getting thoughts throughout the game. And the Giants fans did not feel like they were coming into it. If we talked about game script before it, perfect game script, Packers have the lead. You want Daniel Jones to try and throw the ball a little bit more. But in, in fairness to the Giants, their defense really stepped up. Packers could not really get any drives going after that point, couldn't complete on third down. And the one thing that Jones did repeatedly was on third down, be able to to get those first down plays done. But you mentioned Barkley, and Barkley is the story. Because even in this game, he goes out of the game. He goes into the medical tent, and it kind of looks like Maybe he's going to be potentially out for the game. And you could tell the concern with those Giants fans that were sitting beside me. But when you get to see the explosive plays that he makes, even after he comes back and gets that you know, wildcat formation to, to go and get that rushing touchdown at the end to give them the lead. They, just some of the plays he was doing, 
are just at a, a different speed, a different level than what you usually see on an NFL feed. I've been lucky the last two games I've seen in London. One was uh, Christian McCaffrey, one was Saquon Barkley. So I've got to see two pretty awesome running backs perform at a very high level in those games. The interesting note in this, looking through the box score, Sean, as we record this, is Saquon Barkley had three receptions in this game. He had one very impressive long reception, which would make you think that he has a long of 41. So you think that his yard is total is going to be more than 41 yards on those three receptions, but he is 36 yards. So outside of the big play over the middle, they were able to keep him kind of out of the passing game. The highest receptions and highest targets both went to Darius Slitton in this game. So it was all featured through what they were able to do with Saquon Barkley. So he goes for 70 and a touchdown on the ground. And just it's one of those days you do not get the result, but you also get to to see a an absolute world-class talent play so what was your vision of Barkley mines was not of much enjoyment but it was great to see him uh, back out there and having a an awesome finish to the game for him and for the Giants what was your thoughts watching it from from your home well Barkley is probably our most rostered player in main events so the main thought is that stay healthy right don't don't <laughs> suffer a shoulder injury don't have any of these issues that have befallen deandre swift and obviously many many players javante williams the most recent big name to go down damian harris sadly going out in what was a perfect situation for him to pile up points there on sunday but the speed that he has when he gets to the edges and you put that with a team that is willing to scheme him a variety of different ways to make plays you have such a stark contrast between what the giants are currently doing and dable and really everyone else and so from that perspective i mean you can think the buffalo bills for example they have this huge blowout victory they can't really get their running backs involved now the kansas city chiefs have created some points for clyde edwards alaire this year we'll be interested to see if that continues through the next month but barkley really something different this looks like rookie version of barkley at some point, you think they're going to get a little bit back with the rest of the offense. But I think the other impressive note here is Daniel Jones. We know that he's not completely healthy, and yet he's still putting his body at risk, scrambling out there. The thing that everyone hoped for this season, if you were going to be on the Giants at all, and mostly you're going to be on the Giants through Saquon Barkley since they don't have other great options. But then also, if you're a Giants fan, you want to see Daniel Jones as an extreme poor man's version of Josh Allen, obviously, we're not getting the deep passing. We're not getting those dynamic plays in the passing game. But for him to go out there and compete and to use his athleticism, converting these plays on third downs, giving them another weapon, something else to account for in the running game so that defenses can't key exclusively on Barkley. I just think that his effort in this game was really, really impressive. I think this is the type of game where even if he ends up not being the long-term solution for the Giants, this game and this season, similar to what we're seeing right now with the Seattle Seahawks and Geno Smith, I don't think there's any question that these guys are going to be NFL starters now, more or less for the long term. It may be a situation similar to what we're getting with Baker Mayfield, but just with more success. But in that same kind of vein of a Jimmy Garoppolo, when teams are looking for ways to fill that quarterback position, when you have the vertical passing ability and accuracy of a Geno Smith when you have the athleticism of a Daniel Jones. Those are things that will help an offense in ways that someone like a Jimmy Garoppolo and a Baker Mayfield probably can't even do. And so I think this was another big weekend for those two guys. 
And when you flip it and look at the Packers side, the thing that really stands out here is just the inability to pass in the key moments. You mentioned that 20 to 10 lead. They score right before half. The Giants come back out and are able to get a field goal to cut it to 2013. Then they force a punt, go down and score, tie the game, force a three and out and get the ball back. Score there up 27 to 20. The Packers go from up 20 to 10 to down 27, 20, and only run 10 offensive plays in the interim. Now, this isn't even really a situation where they've stalled themselves out by playing so slowly and limiting possessions as much as when you get an 11-play field goal drive from the Giants and then a 16-play touchdown drive from the Giants, you're starting to have the game run out. So when you then go and throw three incomplete passes as they do on their three-and-out drive, you just end up not having the ball. That puts a lot of pressure back on you when you have this late drive. You go 14 plays, end up with zero points. Because you, now, you that, give that was a real killer on and, at the end. Yeah, that, that was a real killer because you get to third and two there. You have two downs to get two yards, two incomplete passes that both plays never really stood a chance. And um, they're both plays that I think that, you know, AJ Dillon or Aaron Jones should be getting in those situations. You're, you're kind of heading into the red zone, should be trying to tie that game up. So, yeah, in the second half, they didn't score any points outside of the safety that the, was intentionally taken by the, the Giants there at the end. So, finishes... 27 22 i did get multiple dms and multiple messages on twitter sean and maybe we'll keep this for a show later in the week uh, when my uh, emotions maybe are better <laughs> with the result but a lot of people uh wondering sean's thoughts on 13 targets for uh, randall cobb and this who does get 99 yards and seven receptions but we'll save that sean for later in the week we'll we'll circle back to that we'll stick to positive thoughts as we move forward on today's show positive thoughts on a player that you were very high on this offseason and has looked good through this portion of the season to this point we talked about it a little bit last week too that is Brees hall of the new york jets an interesting game here where you talk about how daniel jones plays for the giants zach wilson doesn't really have to do a lot because Brees hall did a lot in this one he has 18 rushing attempts for 97 yards and a touchdown is two receptions of two targets for 100 yards so pretty efficient there through the air but we also have michael carter having two touchdowns on, on 21 yards he gets 10 rush attempts and this one on the other side then somebody that we have on a lot of our roster he mostered takes over that backfield in this situation 18 for 113 and a touchdown for him kind of phasing chase edmonds out there teddy bridgewater does start this game but just has one attempt then is evaluated for concussion so he misses out on the rest of the game skyler thompson comes in for the miami dolphins what were some of your key takeaways in this and we'll obviously start with hall and Raheem Mostert but any other notes that you have on the the Dolphins and the the Jets and the score in this one looks like a complete blowout but it wasn't really that way Sean up until pretty close to the end yeah the Jets are able to really pull away at the conclusion of this game when Skylar Thompson who played all right through pretty big chunks of it was sort of overwhelmed down the stretch but so much of that does come from Brees Hall and the pressure that he put on goes for almost 200 yards from scrimmage, you mentioned those two receptions for 100 yards. He's tackled at the one foot line on both of these, which that, that's a DeAndre Swift style play there. It it really is. And on both plays, they go and then they have the two back set and use Hall as a little bit of a decoy handoff to Michael Carter. He gets the two touchdowns, even though he carries 10 times for 21 yards. 
Brees Hall, 18 carries, 97 yards. He does get a touchdown at the end. This one could have been bigger, but I, there's not that much you can complain about here. I was in a main event with a Rotoviz listener where we had to start Zach Wilson. It's one of those teams where we had a lot of quarterback injuries. To have Zach Wilson in and to have Brees Hall everywhere, to have the two tackles at the the one-foot line is frustrating. But you can't complain. You can't ask for much more than what Hall does here. His ability to get from a more or less stop position to full speed is, I, I think, unparalleled right now in terms of what we're seeing in the NFL. Jonathan Taylor, the other guy who has the ability to show that patience and then absolutely explode. And with Taylor, you're talking about getting to mid 4-3 speed. Hall maybe not quite that fast, but the long speed on display here. We talked last week about how Hall is essentially Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson, but with the long speed, you saw it again this week. I just can't believe the patience, too, because he gets up to the line and doesn't just throw himself into the back of his blocks when the hole isn't there. He waits for something to develop. It really looks very Le'Veon-like from that regard. The only difference, then, is that he has speed. I mean, Le'Veon Bell, a very, very good player, but someone whose lack of straight-line speed was always evident, always limited him, and limited him within the context of putting up these you know, 25-point-per-game seasons, so... I mean, nothing again that we're going to complain about there. But when you're looking at Hall and his fluidity in the receiving game, putting that with the rushing game, I mean, the real question that you have here is, can the offense sustain it? Will Zach Wilson be good enough? He looked very pedestrian again this week. You look at his numbers, 14 for 21, 210 yards. But then you realize, you know, half of that is Debris Hall. You get four targets for Corey Davis, four targets for Garrett Wilson, another just a debacle for Elijah Moore where he catches one of his four targets, goes for 11 yards. The way that this passing game has just completely shut off with Wilson in there, it, it's pretty frustrating because we know based on what we saw in those first handful of games, if you don't get that Joe Flacco experience, then I mean, you could come out of this first month and think, I mean, Garrett Wilson, yeah, I mean, he's going to end up being a decent starter, probably not a bust as the number 10 pick overall, but you've got questions because we did get to see him play with, I don't want to say a real quarterback, but with a quarterback who's able to unlock the receivers in a way that Zach Wilson just simply can't, what you're going to be staring at now, at least through the rest of this season, that's not to say there won't be some big games. I mean, Garrett Wilson is going to go off for some big plays. Zach Wilson in a situation where, again, I mean, he's coming back from this injury. He still is trying to develop the complete derailment of the Trevor Lawrence train illustrates just that it's not a simple thing. It's not necessarily a straight line. I mean, Lawrence, we're right back to having these questions because he was awful in week five and his weapons didn't give him anything. His coaches didn't give him anything. So many question marks now in Jacksonville. I mean, if you're a Jets fan, you're thinking, I mean, we're, we're way ahead of where they are. But when you're talking about building a long-term winner, and the Jets just have so much talent. They may have the most talent of any team in football on the offensive side of the ball, outside of the quarterback position. Those questions are not answered just because Brees Hall, for two weeks now, has been the best running back in football. You switch to the other side and you look at the Miami Dolphins. They do lose Teddy Bridgewater early. That is more or less a dagger for their passing game. We end up in a situation here where Jalen Waddle only gets three targets, catches all three of them for 23 yards. They're really stuck in first the entire rest 
of the game. Tyreek Hill said he could catch passes with anybody. He does catch all seven here, but only averages a little under seven yards per reception. This team just needs to get healthier. The silver lining was Raheem Mostert. We talk about Brees Hall. We talk about Mostert. talk about Saquon Barkley. Barkley really our guy in the main events. Brees Hall, Raheem Mostert, I think the two players I end up with the highest roster exposure to in the underdog drafts. So this was sort of a, a big push week from that perspective for me, or at least one that offset the wide receiver scoring, which was not good. So Raheem Mostert, 18 carries, 113 yards. He does get in for that touchdown. When you're the only thing working on your offense and the defense doesn't have to respect the passing game, when you still show that burst over and over and over, you can understand why Chase Edmonds has been de-emphasized in this. doesn't mean that's going to stay the course. You have four carries from Miles Gaskin here as well. He's not able to get anything going. For me, and you watch Mostert, and he just looks so fragile out there compared to so many NFL players who look superhuman i'm just hoping he can stay healthy because as the dolphins kind of get back they're three and two now injuries really hurting their season when you think about your fantasy team and if listeners are in anything like the situation that i'm in for so many teams you're going down you're looking through your bench and basically everyone there is injured we're not even to the bye weeks yet and your starting lineup more or less consists of the players who are still healthy reality teams also dealing with this just such a frustrating development for the Miami Dolphins. They looked so good through the first three weeks. They now have some real problems, but I think Raheem Mostert has to be a bright spot. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And Sean, when we move into some other of these games, you mentioned briefly touching on the kind of situations the Rams find themselves in against the Cowboys. We have a couple of games where, you know, situations where teams are having to put up huge passing attempt numbers versus the opposition. But really, like this Cowboys game against the Rams, it looks like the Cowboys have had to, like, you know, kind of take it pretty straightforward on, on offense. Only 16 pass attempts for Cooper Rush, 10 completions, 34 rushing attempts. We get Tony Pollard, 8 for 86 in a touchdown. His long, obviously, on that touchdown, 57 yards. We get Matthew Stafford passing it 
42 times in this. We get really nothing happening on their offense again outside of Cooper Cup. Was that a, a version of kind of what we talked about last week and the same thing happening again? You mentioned Trevor Lawrence as well. He throws 47 times in this for just the 286 yards, but Marvin Jones is 104 yards, but it's pretty much spread around. Not a huge amount happening here in this game, but in that one, Davis Mills just throwing it the 24 times and they kind of have a similar formula and both, both of those games the box scores are very similar here but damian pierce 26 for 99 yards and a touchdown for him there as well and then the other big big pass <laughs> attempts day anyway if we call it that it was uh tom brady he goes for 52 attempts for 351 yards the one touchdown the big day there coming from leonard Fournette, 10 for 81 the touchdown for him through the air he gets a rushing touchdown as well 56 yards on the ground some really high pass attempts numbers was there anything standing out on on those offenses that caused those high pass attempt numbers other than the teams being behind in two of them and the leading one of them well the buccaneers know where their bread is buttered they're one of these teams a little bit more like the chiefs and the bills that understand that passing plays are much more efficient you watch this game here and the falcons do make a push at the end but the falcons are a joke Right. I mean, you have a game here where Marcus Mariota passes 25 times. Now, he does get seven carries, and a couple of those are designed passes. But passes 25 times, they run 31 times in a game where they trail throughout and are more you or less establish in the list. Oh, uh, <laughs> the, the, one thing I, thing, the, the one thing I can guarantee is if they were in the Packers situation when it was third and two, they definitely would have rushed the ball those times. They definitely would have rushed the ball. That is true. And again, there are some individual plays here where they run the ball pretty successfully. If you're looking at it from a zero RB approach, I think that Tyler Algier looks absolutely awesome. Now, you're not going to necessarily get that from the box score where you see 13 carries for 45 yards. That's less than four yards per attempt. Caleb Huntley, a little bit better. Avery Williams, frustratingly, again, if you're trying to play one of those two guys, he's the one who actually gets... The touchdown, Mariota, the only one of these players who is efficient as a rusher. That's not a surprise. We were expecting the Falcons to have to throw against this Tampa Bay defense. They react by having the four receptions for Drake London on the seven targets. He frustratingly has a 26-yard catch called back on a very phantom offensive penalty again i don't want to go into the officiating after giving them a hard time last week but when you watch how many teams what about the sack to on tom brady we'll just mention that we won't get into it but what is that a penalty i mean anytime that you're roughing up tom brady that should be a what if you're gently you know kind of almost caressing him to the the ground to make sure that he doesn't hurt himself the the big picture here is that the officials need to be sure that they're seeing these penalties right there are so many things called on sunday that are borderline and we're not talking about defensive pass interference penalties you have all of these plays when you're watching the nfl games on sunday and just like us and one of the things that's kind of fun is that the commentators are coming at it from their own perspective of the positions that they've played the type of football that they'd like to see you know every once in a while you'll have this pass down to the field to a guy who you know is being held for a long period of time, which is either holding or illegal contact. And then as the ball is getting there, the defender will pull down both hands and both arms, and then the ball will hit them. 
and the commentator will say, well, that, that's just, that's good hand fighting. You know, that's, that's a good no call. <laughs> You're like, it's like three different penalties, but if you want to say it's a good no call, then that's a one way to look at the game aesthetically. The issue that I have here is that when you're getting a lot of phantom penalties on the offenses and we are it's destroying the product because there are a lot of teams here that simply can't move the ball and you know say what you want about some of the changes that baseball is making the baseball commissioner from my reading of it fairly unpopular from baseball purists but they're trying to make some moves to create offense to create excitement I mean, we need that on NFL Sundays. This was the worst week of just actually watching the games that I've experienced in a long time. So many teams that just are are helpless on offense. When you add phantom offensive penalties to that, like we saw in this game, and and Arthur Smith, I mean, you don't you don't have to love him, you don't have to agree with the way that he calls plays, but when he watches that play to Drake London and is just trying to explain to the officials, I just don't understand what you're possibly doing. We also had a handful again, of these phantom offensive pass interference penalties. The Detroit Lions absolutely shellacked, embarrassed by the Patriots. They get shut out after they had been the highest scoring team of football and the best offense by a variety of metrics going into that game. They do actually score a touchdown that's wiped off the board on a completely ridiculous penalty, which is one of these screenplays that the offenses run. This one, another one where the offensive player is just running a pattern, and that pattern takes him into the vicinity of a defender, but he doesn't have the hands up. He's not stopping his route. Let the offensive play. I, you know, we we need those garbage points, right, Colin? No, but again, even if you don't care about it from a fantasy perspective, it's bad officiating, it's bad football, it's bad for the NFL. But the NFL Falcons, I mean, if you want to be competitive in these games, you have to pass. The Buccaneers are a perfect illustration of that. One of the reasons... But I ranked Leonard Fournette in the rest of season running back rankings higher than I had originally is that it became very clear that number one, he's going to have the workload and this offense is going to flow through him in a variety of ways. In this game, he has 11 targets, right? So you can use Leonard Fournette and make him the focal point of the offense without giving him the ball 30 times. In this game, he also has 14 carries for a touchdown. This is a massive game from Fournette. And by using those 11 targets, you're getting him the ball to where he's not having to run through the first line of defenders. The Falcons offense is simply not set up that way, but you can very easily see why these offenses that pass effectively to the running back are able to do things that the other offenses simply aren't able to do. If there's a silver lining for the Panthers, and if you're a Panthers fan or fantasy manager, it mostly is silver linings that you're focusing on. They use Christian McCaffrey more effectively again in the receiving game this week. So from that perspective, you're you're going going to say, uh, yeah, I thought you were going to say the silver lining for the Panthers was that they fired their head coach. That's going to be more than a silver lining, but we'll see where it goes long-term for some of these teams you're still mostly choosing from coaching minds that are already on staff. When you fire your head coach this early, you do know now you've, you've lit a fire on these guys. You have some incentives to go in a different direction, but it's basically the same coaching staff just without the guy who is standing there on the sidelines, looking like he doesn't know what's going on. Removing that person probably doesn't help that much until next year, but the remaining 
people now have a chance to make their names a little bit. Hopefully, we'll see some creativity from them. At the very least, we'll see a continuation of the better usage for Christian McCaffrey of the last two weeks. But again, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers look great in this game. I haven't watched the very end. I'm interested to see how they let the Falcons back into it. The Falcons, and this is one of the things that Ben pointed out on Ceiling Bananas, the real concern that you have if you have Falcons players, if you have Bears players, is that even in these games where they're more or less getting blown out, they're going to stick with what they do and just hope that they don't lose by as much. Now, the Bears are able to get all the way back and almost win this game with the Vikings. That is another one that I haven't had a chance to watch yet, but I'm excited to see. We know that the big takeaway from that one is that Dalvin Cook, two touchdowns, and Justin Jefferson, again, absolutely unstoppable. He and Cooper Cup are fighting to be the most valuable player in fantasy, the player who should have been at the 101, the 102. Even with the bounce back at the running back position this week, we still have wide receivers on top. And that game that we kind of briefly touched on, the Carolina Panthers did lose to the, the 49ers. We do see Jeff Wilson Jr. with a pretty big day again for him. We're on the running back theme, 17 for 120 and a touchdown going his way there. He gets one reception on two targets for 12 yards and not a huge amount else overly going on i guess we can say tevin coleman gets a receiving touchdown he gets a rushing touchdown and that one sean another big game this week is the seahawks and the new orleans saints i don't know how Taysom hill keeps doing it I, I keep saying it's not sustainable it's not efficient he continues every so often to to score more touchdowns than i can even fathom on the amount of plays that he is in for the saints he gets Three rushing touchdowns in this, 112 yards rushing. He also has a passing touchdown for 22 yards in this game. Another good day for Chris Olave gets in the end zone, does miss out on the remainder of that game with a concussion. We see Alvin Kamara get 91 receiving yards, six receptions going his way, and then we also see him get 120 or 103 yards on the ground. So one of his better days of the season. We see Geno Smith continue to be able to support this offense as they put up 32 points the sad news coming out of this is Rashad Penny and his injury looks to be a season-ending injury for him and you know this was the most complete start to a season he had kind of really had since he came into the NFL so very very disappointing for him to to suffer that injury the other game Sean that we might want to focus a little bit on before we wrap up is the Philadelphia Eagles Arizona Cardinals the Eagles get the win but a slightly frustrating day for for them as they go five and one overall or five and overall here on the season. Yeah, this one is going to depend a lot on whether you're looking at the game through a reality lens or a fantasy lens, but I do think that there is enough overlap that it raises a little bit of eyebrows either way, right? This is not a game where even though it's at the Arizona Cardinals, that the Eagles should be struggling this much. On the the Cardinals side, I think encouraging notes and that Rondell Moore finally looked like the guy that they got for brief fleeting moments last year, the player they were sort of talking up in the offseason, the player they drafted early in the second round and have a lot of enthusiasm for the dynamism that he displayed alongside Marquise Brown. When you think about DeAndre Hopkins then coming back, this is an offense that's about to get very exciting and Kyler Murray still a guy who looks like a potential league winner for you and tournament winner for players as they try and balance out 
or compete with the massive points we're getting from Josh Allen, compete with the points from a Lamar Jackson, from a Jalen Hurts. But the Hurts element here, I think a little bit disappointing, even though, again, it's a very solid fantasy day for him. This game was fantastic through the Cardinals scoring to make it 17 all. But then we have the Eagles go on a 17 play field goal drive in which they only attempt three passes, none of which are to the wide receivers. So as you're going down the stretch, you get this game tied at 17. You have AJ Brown. You're very excited for what he can do. They've used Devontae Smith, someone who catches 10 passes in this game, more or less relentlessly underneath. And now is the time to balance that out and go back to AJ Brown, beat the Cardinals like that. And instead they try and more or less run the game out, run the clock out. If nothing else, this would have been a little bit different if they just score a touchdown, but to go on a 17 play field goal drive, this only works because Kyler Murray ends up having a little bit of a mental gaffe at the end. He slides too early then he spikes the ball to create a fourth down and the Cardinals have to then bring out Matt Amendola, who it's just always very difficult to watch these games when the kickers miss because you know that, I mean, their career is, is dying on those plays. This makes two games that Amendola has lost for the teams he was kicking for in three weeks to get another chance after he had the debacle in Kansas City and then to miss this field goal here. Your heart just go out, goes out to him. Very frustrating if you're a Cardinals fan. I mean, this is a game they easily could have won. The Eagles left it right there for them. They showed more dynamism. You know, Benjamin looks good. I mean, you know, Benjamin was showing the full range of, you know, Benjamin kinds of things where he had a couple of plays where he's tackled in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage where he does more or less nothing. And you're thinking, well, you're going to get benched after that play for Daryl Williams, but then also has the explosive touchdown run. You can see the Jets from him. You can see why if Connor isn't available. I mean, this was a big week for the zero RB candidates list. It was a big week for some of these backup players. Benjamin looked very good. As you mentioned, Walker, we hate to have it ever happen that way. The reason that both Penny and Walker were on that list is that they're probably two of the 11 or 12 most talented running backs in the NFL. We saw a couple of big plays for Penny early in this game. Obviously he looked good last week. Then he goes out and you know, as, as soon as he's tackled there and he's coming up, you know, you're just fearing the worst, which it does sound like is going to be the case. Walker, who was on that list despite all of the red flags, the fact that Seattle might not create a very good offensive context. The really cool thing there is that hasn't been the case. Probably the most valuable player in fantasy football outside of the absolute stars has been Tyler Lockett. Because Geno Smith has been... I mean, what are the chances... We're big believers in Geno, which is how we ended up with all of these joking Jets versus Seahawks week 17 rosters. I mean, if you're talking about Brees Hall versus the Seahawks, that looks pretty good right now. And if you're counting on Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, it doesn't look as good. But both of those offenses put up huge points this week, score almost 80 combined points. To get to this point in the season, even if you were a Russell Wilson skeptic, which we were, and Geno Wilson, Geno, and Geno Smith super fans, which 
I mean, we were. I mean, it's a weird thing to be able to admit. Yeah, it's a weird thing <laughs> to admit. <laughs> well, I mean, it, Jared Goff just illustrated why. You want to go ahead and admit that you're a super fan of the terrible quarterback, like right at the correct moment, because that opportunity can go away quickly. To be in a situation where Geno Smith will be this much better than Russell Wilson, we haven't recorded since that Thursday night game happened. I mean, that's a situation where when Wilson goes out, and you're hoping that he goes out with something, again, that is not a serious health issue. But if he had been able to stay on the sidelines and Brett Rippon goes into that game, then the Denver Broncos win. I mean, how are we in a situation where Russell Wilson getting benched is what the Broncos need to be a competent team? The Seahawks, unfortunately, did blow this game because their defense is terrible. And, and Taysom Hill, I guess, is a superhero. It made no sense to me. I, I'm not someone who drafted Taysom Hill. And so this is not something where I want it from a fantasy perspective or it would help me from a fantasy perspective. You watch him play. You watch him play in week one. And then you watch how incompetent Jameis Winston and the rest of the offense is over the next month, you're trying to figure out like, how did it get to, to week five before we get Taysom Hill again? Maybe there were some injury things in there. I'm, I'm not sure, but he's someone who should have the ball in his hands. Andy Dalton, I think is better than Jameis Winston, but did in this game show a lack of arm strength on some pretty important plays with Andy Dalton. You get good decision-making relatively good accuracy, poor arm strength with Jameis Winston. <laughs> you get the bombs, but nothing else. Chris Olave, a great play to catch that touchdown. This is one where the officials did a great job overturn what was a bad call on the field. You get that score in the end zone. Obviously, he had the ball. He's then thrown to the ground. You can see the concussion take place. That part, very, very difficult. We're hoping that he can clears the concussion protocol quickly, not because it's good for fantasy managers, but because the faster you clear the protocol, the better indication that is for your brain health. But Colin, to kind of go back to your question and to look at, at Ken Walker and the Seahawks, he then has the 69-yard touchdown run where, again, one of these kind of shot out of the cannon plays. Now, he did have a hole, but he has to cut and get to the sort of gaping chasm. Not everybody makes that initial cut to get into space. You see a lot of running backs running into the back of their linemen. And then to have the speed to take it the whole distance Walker does look like someone who will be a league winner. The reason both Penny and Walker were on that list was that you, I mean, you're, you're hoping that they could somehow both stay healthy. But one of the things that we've witnessed over the first month, and it may be the most frustrating thing in a, a weekend of frustrating developments at the receiver position, you get the zero from T Higgins. And it, 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 from a reality perspective, if there's a chance that the guy can play, you want him to be active and if he can help you, he can help you. It is tough for fantasy managers who take that zero, who wait on him all day. And when you get the all clear, you get the thumbs up. You know the player's going to play. You can't really bench T. Higgins. And yet, especially for our lineups, where we often have eight very viable wide receivers, you prefer not to have that zero in there. A lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of fun big plays, especially at the running back position in week five. I'm excited for tonight's game. We get some Chiefs. We get some Raiders. That's the perfect way to finish a weekend of football. Yeah, it should be awesome. And uh, this here, obviously, we've recorded this a little bit later. Thanks for people's patience this week as we drop this show. It will come out after the games moving forward, week six and so on. Some of the games we didn't really touch on the Titans and the Washington Commanders. Brian Robinson gets back in on that. So we'll touch on that game 
later on in the week Derek Henry Sean referenced earlier when we're continuing to mention the running backs their theme massive game again from him luck to be back to what we expect from him Nick Chubb who I mentioned in the preview show last week I didn't think he was going to have a big day he had a big day uh, so we'll talk about him as well we'll talk about Austin Eckler who had another massive week so back-to-back huge games as well for him so some of the top end running backs that we didn't touch on on today's show also having big weeks so kind of running backs all around pretty pretty positive results and outcomes from them but we will be back to talk more about them on the wednesday podcast if you are subscribed to the road of his overtime podcast feed that usually comes out at tuesday at 5 p.m eastern so if you are subscribed to road of his ot podcast feed you will be able to get that a little bit quicker so i would highly recommend doing that we will be back when that show is posted up if you're signing up for a road of his nfl pass you can use the code rv radio 2022 at checkout get yourself a 10 percent discount off a road of his nfl pass get access to all of the content and tools up on rotaviz.com including sean's pieces that will be up throughout this week as we get ready to preview nfl week six my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at overtime ireland and of course check out all of sean siegel's work up on rotaviz.com and until we are back with another show have a good one Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.